2: Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Today, I'm accompanied by my wife, Beth.
3: Hello, everybody.
2: We want to wish everybody, you know, a happy Mother's Day weekend. And, you know, it's trying times, but let's try to get through it. Now, this show ordinarily is about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, ordinarily we spend more time on estate planning questions, but we are going to play one estate planning question from Kevin McCullough. Kevin McCullough each week takes a question from one of our listeners, asks me that question on his show which can be heard Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock on 970 The Answer, an extended hour on Wednesdays with John Katsimatidis, and also on his other show on 570 The Mission, Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock. So take it away, Kevin. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my
3: assets me? be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take
0: care of grandma?
1: Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you that uh, Michael Connors of Connors & Sullivan Law, uh, which specialize in estate planning and elder law, will be here to answer one of your actual questions. And, Mike, this week's question comes from Gary. He says, my Aunt Millie is in a nursing home, and I took my uncle to visit her the other day, and the nursing home told us that he has to spend all his money to pay for for my aunt's care. How will he survive when all the money's gone? Is this true, and can you help? Mike Connors, he sounds desperate.
2: Yeah, and sometimes, you know, the wrong advice is given out. Basically, assuming they're New York residents, and of course that's a big assumption, I guess, but if we're able to transfer all the assets from the wife's name to the you know, her husband's name, uncle, whatever in this case, then the month after we finish transferring the assets, he can sign what's called a spouse refusal, and the wife's nursing home bill will be picked up. By Medicaid now, and and depending where you live in New York and some places, if uh, the uncle has a million dollars or something like that, they may sue for support, but even then they get pennies on the dollar. But no, he does not have to use all the savings to pay for his wife's nursing home care.
1: All right, so if someone else is in that situation right now, friends, what you need to do is you need to get on the phone to Connors & Sullivan and ask his great team about how you can... Uh, find the same kind of help, 718-238-6500 is the number, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, you're going to talk to his great team, all the girls that answer the phone are just wonderful, they can't wait to help you when you call, and Mike and his team of really uh, established and very gifted uh, lawyers are are ready to go to work for you, I have used them personally, I know of what I'm talking about here. He will also answer more of your questions on his show on Saturday mornings. uh, You can send him to askmikeconnors at gmail.com, askmikeconnors at gmail.com, and then make sure you listen to Ask the Lawyer. Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much.
0: Thank you, Kevin. 87182386500. That's 7182386500. And listen to Ask the Lawyer right here every Saturday evening at 6.
2: Thanks again, Kevin. And you know, listen, if you have any estate planning questions, our office, you know, our phones are open. We'll get you to a lawyer to answer those questions. We are able to sign wills and trusts and powers of attorney, and other documents remotely. Now, it's easier to do than to explain, almost. But if, if you want to, you know, you say, hey, you know, I have put off my will too long, but I can't get to the office, you can give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We can walk you through the process. Everybody needs a will, and I, I, I think this crisis is just bringing it to, to us how much everybody does need a will. So, again, don't put it off. Give us a call. We're open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. We're closed Saturdays right now, but give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Now, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk to Marty Golden, former state senator who's now working for Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens, and member of the Assembly who's running for Congress, Nicole Malliotakis.
0: Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors and Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors and Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me
2: or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Obviously, we all know what's going on right now, and I was thinking in this crisis, how's Catholic Charities of, of Brooklyn and Queens, how are they doing? So we asked if uh, former State Senator Marty Golden could come in and, and give us an update. Welcome to the show, Marty.
4: Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me now, and uh, I've moved over to Catholic Charities as the uh, Vice President for Development, Communications, and Fundraising, and uh, they have uh, a very... Um, a very hectic uh, and busy schedule uh, due to this virus. It has really, really impacted the need for food uh, and a need for assistance in low-income areas, uh, immigrant areas here in our great uh, borough of Brooklyn and Queens, which is the largest uh, of Catholic charities in the nation when it comes to housing, almost 5,000 housing units. And each one of those seniors get fed. Uh, you can't have them going out. You can't, uh, some of these places do not cook in-house. So you have to be able to make sure that you deliver these meals, hot meals, uh, over 3,000, 3,500 being delivered each and every day uh, to our seniors. So it's a tremendous, tremendous undertaking, uh, especially the lines and the people looking for food at the food pantries this day. And of course, we're just talking about food. We even haven't thought about when they start to talk about utilities, rent, uh, telephones, uh, when that type of uh, uh, issues will come up probably over the next two, three, four weeks. uh, That's going to be another need uh, for our communities, and uh, and an ask, obviously, of Catholic Charities to be able to help them, and of course, rents at some point, uh, rents are going to be an issue. So Catholic Charities is definitely uh, uh, up to the task, Uh, but of course, the need for them right now is Money, dollars, and uh, and thank God we're getting volunteers, which I'll talk about shortly.
2: Okay, now what are the challenges? You, you know, food, you don't ordinarily think about it, but food is a challenge right now because a lot of people just don't have money.
4: Well, the, you're absolutely 100% correct. Uh, we were in St. Bartholomew's uh, last week, uh, this past Friday, um, in, um, and we gave out 26 100 bags of food and people still walked away without food. That's how much and how many people are coming out on lines. What we've been able to do is we've worked, uh, talked to the Governor's Task Force, Kelly Cummings and uh, Tim Ellis, in uh, getting uh, connected to uh, some of the farmers in the state of New York so we can get a good price and being able to deliver those produce into our communities in Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, the uh, carpenters, the district carpenters of the, uh, of the city of New York here have been outstanding working with us as well and getting the produce and dairy down to us. Uh, so that's what the difficulty is, is trying to find the right pieces, uh, to put those pieces into play so we can get that delivered. St. Michael's is uh, Friday the 8th. Uh, the, uh, uh, you think about that, The uh, that's going, that's over 3,000 uh, bags of food will be made up, and there you'll see people uh, walking away without uh, food there as well, uh, and because we just don't have the ability uh, to put together uh, resources to make it happen, and we need resources, and we need help.
2: Okay. Now, Catholic Charities, are you guys shut down, or are you in business?
4: We're open to business. We uh, we have, uh, you know, remember, we have 160 programs. I talked about the housing program, which is almost 5,000 units of housing, the largest in the country next to the federal government. Well, we have behavioral sciences. We have uh, health. So we have uh, 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 from zero to, uh, to death, we have programs for our children, for after school, uh, for during school. Uh, We have uh, programs for the families, uh, families in need, families that are having difficulty and trying to keep families together. Uh, That has become uh, the behavioral health uh, clinics have been impacted significantly, especially in these times, and uh, keeping our people In Catholic Charities, you got to keep, you got to make sure that they're not uh, being impacted by all of what's going on. They have to be able to deal with these families, and of course, they got their own issues going on in their own homes. And so, God bless the uh, workers at Catholic Charities for the great work that they're doing, and the hours that they're putting in. They'll be there one o'clock in the morning, uh, and then back in at eight o'clock the next day. Uh, It's it's amazing uh, the work that they're doing, but we are getting it done. And uh, we serve over 3 million meals a year, uh, just the seniors alone. Uh, and that's not mentioning our low-income families that we're delivering bags of food to on a regular basis. But getting that food is an issue, and getting it for the right price is another issue. And uh, we've been working, like I said, the district carpenters, uh, the, uh, the governor's task force. The, uh, we have tons of uh, great, great companies right now uh, two great companies, which I'll talk about in a few minutes and what they're doing in the last two events that we've had. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do the same as we do these pop-up food pantries. Uh, like I said, St. Michael's is, uh, and, and the St. Bob St. Michael's is, on 4th Avenue in yes, Brooklyn? Yes, on 42nd Street, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a tremendous, tremendous, a small church, but it's got a tremendous, tremendous uh, reach into the uh, immigrant and uh into the low-income families in the uh, Sunset Park uh, area and down by Third Avenue, Fourth Avenue in the 30s and 40s.
2: Senior citizen centers. What what's happening? I mean,
4: uh... Uh, right now, obviously, we can't meet in these senior centers. Uh, and what we're doing is we're setting up in each of these uh, uh, buildings that we have. We're working with uh, Verizon and other companies for uh, hooking up uh, Wi-Fi so that the uh, We can do Zoom and uh, Zoom in with the seniors and have a regular senior uh, uh, get-together and so that the seniors can also be in touch with their family and their loved ones as well. So that Wi-Fi is right now under, um, uh, it's it's being uh, worked out as we speak.
2: You know, I mean, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago I was listening to one of Governor Cuomo's addresses and he said he didn't realize how much of an impact it would have on people not to have a job and to be isolated. Politically, where do you think we're going? I mean, you were in politics 20 years.
4: Well, I got to tell you right now, they didn't have places like Catholic Charities, uh, a not-for-profit out there getting the food to these to the people that need it. Uh, those that are unemployed and those that are sitting at home have a host of issues going on. A, there's no food for their kids. B, the it could be have some be- behavioral issues. Uh, um, health clinics are, like I said, impacted. Uh, so you need to be able to supply those services and to make sure that they're fed. Once you get that done, of course, deal with the other issues as we move along. But if you take a look at what's happened here and the time it's going to take us to get back on the road again, this will be the last to get back on the road to New York City. Uh, there are places around the country that are opening up already. Places upstate New York were not impacted, so they'll open up. But a place like Buffalo, New York, one in four is unemployed. Uh, you got to start to get these people back to work if there wasn't a major impact in those communities. And you got to do it safely and responsibly. And you got to hope and make sure this doesn't come back again in November. And you got to make sure that the scientists and the doctors are working on the next uh, vaccine that's going to help uh, the people here in the great uh, city, state, and nation and around the world. So don't we have to go through this uh, pandemic again or even something closely relating to it. Um, we didn't need this. You see how many people die from influenza. Uh, more people die from it. But unfortunately, it's it's accidents. We have people dying across this country for a host of different issues. We did not need this pandemic. This did not have to happen. And it's a shame that it did. And hopefully, the uh, we will get to the bottom of it, understand how it happened. And uh, there will be an investigation. And uh, we'll make sure, that, God willing, that it never happens again. But the distancing that we're going to have moving forward, the, uh, um, I don't know how that's going to work here in the city of New York. If you own a restaurant, if you own a store, how do you open that store and not have uh, these new guidelines that may come out from the city which would impact you and just basically almost put you out of business? So you cannot, uh, uh, you cannot have the, the uh, rules and regulations That are going to hurt and impact so people cannot go back to work when you impact the restaurant you impact other stores uh, that they can't get uh, uh, people into them you can't hire people so people don't go back to work and B businesses go out of business so we got to make sure we do this smartly as we reopen and slowly but surely make sure that we're back on the ground doing what we should do being the greatest city and the greatest nation in the world and we will And this is the greatest nation in the world, and we've shown it. And the president has done a great job at uh, trying to put this together and working with all the different governors across this great country. Uh, But he's got his work cut out for him, and so do the governors in uh, some of these tough states like here in New York.
2: Well, let me ask you, we're talking beforehand, Buffalo, 25 percent unemployment. What is the impact of the coronavirus on the population in, in Buffalo?
4: It's not anything close to what it is here. Uh, there is an impact, but there, nothing like the impact that 's here that 's why I see you 'll see buffalo start to open up uh, you 'll see the middle you 'll see areas like Syracuse as a hit. Uh, there are certain areas that have areas across the state that have impacted uh, those areas will take a little slower to open up, but I think you 'll see a lot of this opening up by May fifteenth uh, you always see the golf courses, the parks, they're all open in New Jersey and here as well. So you're going to see the, uh, uh, that happening across the state. I believe the rest of the state will be up and running uh, by May 15th, June 1st, the latest. Uh, I see New York City uh, slowly opening up May 15th and slowly getting into it by June 1st, along with uh, Long Island. Those were the areas that were really, really impacted, Nassau, Suffolk, and New York City.
2: Now, I know nobody has a crystal ball, but where do you see New York City after June 1st?
4: We were in trouble. Uh, I see that uh, we have, uh, uh, we got to hope that the elected officials uh, and the leadership of the city and the state uh, are in sync and are working towards a solution and getting these businesses back open and people back to work. Uh, I don't see that happening uh, as uh, unfortunately, and I think it's going to be a longer. Um, period of time that we will not have uh, these businesses open and a longer period of time that we will not have these people back to work. That is not good for society. It's not good for our city. Uh, and uh, the economics of this city cannot, and the economics of the state cannot uh, continue to push this off. Uh, they've got to deal with it quickly, responsibly, and get people back to work and get their stores open. But again, they've got to do it smartly. So I see us going at least until around uh, July, August, but I think we should be up and running uh, and in pretty good shape by September 1st.
2: All right, but let's say for the sake of argument, let's say you take a restaurant and they start limiting the seating capacity. You know a little bit about the restaurant business. Can a restaurant open if, on their busy time, they have to turn away patrons?
4: No. The the margin on a restaurant is very small. Uh, They cannot afford, most of the restaurants are geared up to uh, their, their markdown. And they are mark up, and uh, their 15% is probably where they're coming out with the uh, that uh, some as low as 7%. So they're not walking away. People think the restaurants walk walking away 30% margin. They're not, and uh, that's going to impact uh, those restaurants in being able to stay open. Let's take Bay Ridge. We have restaurants all over the place. Uh, you're going to impact, and there are smaller restaurants. We have a great restaurant up at Pino's. You know, It's a small little restaurant on 3rd Avenue. What are they going to do if they impact that when they come back? And they say, well, you've got to have distancing, and this is the distancing, and it's the amount of people you're going to allow into your restaurant. You're eliminating putting you're eliminating some of these businesses from opening up. And so we've got to make sure that doesn't happen. We've got to make sure that the businessman, uh, the business person, the corporation has the ability to stay in business, and we've got to give them the tools and the resources to be able to do that. And that's another impact on city and state uh, government and responsibility in making sure that they take care of those that need it.
2: Well, let me ask you something, and, and I don't think anybody's ever talking. What about the landlords? I mean, nobody's paying rent right now. I mean, by nobody, obviously, there are a lot of businesses just can't afford to pay the rent. What relief is there for the, the landlords? Is anybody talking about it?
4: No. The uh, The governor pointed it out that he will deal with that. There is a three-month suspension that uh, so people can... Not pay their rents if they choose to, but at some point, come June thirtieth, these landlords are going to want those rents to be able to pay their mortgages. They can't pay their mortgages, they go out of business. And uh, real estate taxes. The real estate. Now, this taxes, is
2: one thing I don't understand. I mean, we've gotten all these government programs, but why aren't the real estate taxes suspended for three months to give the landlord a shot? Well, you know we're getting through this?
4: We're the, the real. Uh, Uh, arrow in the heart here, is that the mayor and the city council raised taxes. So you're going to have real estate taxes going up on July 1st. When everything else is closing down, you're going to raise taxes on the people that own these buildings. Uh, It's not going to, it it just can't work. Uh, So what you're going to see is an impact that's going to be very, very difficult uh, for landlords. You already see landlords already uh, going into foreclosure. You've got situations here that are going to not allow these landlords to continue uh, and guess what? What is the governor going to say on June 30th? How is he going to make this right? He cannot say, I don't have to pay rent going into July and August and September. So somebody's going to have to pay those rents. So it's places like Catholic Charities. Thank God you have places like them. They're there to help them with utilities, with rent, and to be able to help to make sure that these families have opportunities to pay that. But these landlords are going to be in serious, serious trouble. Some of them already. They have mortgages, and they got to get them paid.
2: Yeah, because I'm afraid, you know, like even when we're allowed to come back, like the restaurants, how are they going to stay in business? And if, you know, what percentage of of the real estate in Bay Ridge or all of Brooklyn, what percentage of uh, the, the restaurants and bars?
4: Well, if you take a look at the impact to employment, so if the people that are working, that are paying the rents, paying the utilities, putting their kids through school, making it work, are working in these restaurants. And if they don't have the jobs to return to, you have a real trickle-down situation here that's going to impact us significantly here in the city of New York. Restaurants here are going to wind up closing if they are not really um, taking this seriously, the mayor and the city council, and not putting out uh, regulations that make it impossible for them to stay in business. And at the same time, they got to make sure it's safe until we get through this dynamic. So it's a tough, tough, tough battle. But i got to tell you right now, we need the economy back. We need our people working. We need our stores open. But we got to make sure we do it responsibly, and we got to make sure that we do it in a timely fashion. So I do believe September 1st is probably the sign for New York City. Uh, before you see, that's somewhat normal. But uh, that's still going to take a time.
2: Right, but a lot of that, you know, to be responsible in opening up, that's easier said than done.
4: It is indeed. The uh, they get, uh, Right now you've got each one of those guys that have a restaurant, pay what? They pay rent. Or if they own the building, they turn and pay uh, mortgages. So they, there's an impact when I say trickle down, this is trickle up. They turn they got to make sure that the landlord gets uh, their money so that they can maintain their buildings. So once that store goes out... What is the landlord going to be able to put in its place? Nothing. There's, we, we are going to Manhattan. There are restaurants in Manhattan, up and down the streets. What is Manhattan going to do? What are the landlords in the city, and how are they going to be able to accomplish uh, staying and keeping their real estate and keeping these businesses impacted, uh, or I should say not impacted, but in a way that they can operate uh, safely. And uh, and at a at some type of a profit so they can remain and keep their families and businesses going. So it's going to be very, very difficult.
2: Now, I know a lot of the real estate owners, they're going crazy anyway with the new guidelines that were put in in Albany. You know, a few months back, but you, real estate is probably not a profitable investment anymore for multiple dwellings.
4: No, it's not. And uh, unfortunately, you're going to see – we've seen this in the 70s. And the reason we gave the state the ability to pass this legislation – that gave the ability for the landlords to give raises to the individual apartments so that they could maintain these apartments, pay their taxes, pay their water, uh, make sure the buildings are maintained. In the 60s and 70s, if you, you can remember, but most people can't, uh, they're not <laughs> that uh, up uh, 60, 70 years of age that I can remember going back and seeing. Uh, These abandoned apartment buildings, these broken windows, the graffiti, the prostitution, the drugs. Uh, That's what we've been returning to if, in fact, we don't smarten up as a city and a state. It's easy to yell out, freeze, rents. Well, great, but then what impact is that to that landlord when you impact him? You're going to see a long-term impact, and you're going to see it sooner than later, uh, on these landlords and on the city and on the state and it's got to be their responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen.
2: Marta. let's get back to Catholic Charities because that was the original focus. You said there were a number of organizations that were helping Catholic Charities.
4: Yes. We got BRS, which is a business uh, relocation uh, uh, owned uh, by Jesus uh, Linares. Uh, He's out of Queens, and uh, he gave us uh, um, 25 people. Uh, He gave us uh, the ability to... uh, Fill uh, and take care of uh, St Bart's this past uh, St this past Friday, and you got St Michael's working uh, with uh, uh, this group, uh, Brian Lang, uh, who owns the uh, e j electric he's giving us twenty four people to work with us, uh, and he's giving us uh, a truckload of produce uh, a non perishable truck and uh, there'll be some perishables that'll come in on Friday. They'll come in on Wednesday so we can start packing them. He's giving us uh, 60-foot of tent uh, so that we can set up the uh, food in the tents. This is the type of volunteerism. And he's bringing a check to give it to Catholic Charities, to Monsignor Alapinto and to Father uh, Pat Keating. And that, to me, is going above and beyond and helping us get and achieve what we need to get done. We're working with Roosters on the Bay, working with Bayridge Manor and others to deliver the meals to our seniors uh, to make sure that they're taken care of as well. Uh, so they have been working and stepping up to the plate. Uh, the carpenters forget about the great work that they've been doing uh, in getting us uh, supplies and working their manpower and coming down and working with us each and every week as we do these pop-up food pantries. And like I said, 2,600 bags of food went out, and people still walked away with no food. We need to do more, and we need more help in, A, uh, volunteering, and B, um, uh, if they can, send a check to Catholic Charities uh, at 191 Jerome Street in Brooklyn, New York, 11201, uh, and uh, send it to um, Monsignor Lopinto or to uh, myself. Uh, and uh, there's also a telephone number if they want to reach out to us. And uh, I'm going to give my cell phone, which is 917-841-4000, or my telephone. Can say that one again? Just- 917-841-4000. And then there's my office phone, which is 718-722-6024. That will also go to my uh, cell phone if, in fact, I don't pick up.
2: What's the website? Where can people learn, one, if they need services, or two, if they want to contribute, even their t- contribute their time right now if they're sitting at home not working?
4: They can go on the Kathy Charities website, uh, and that's www.ccbq.org. Uh, And they will be able to find out what we're doing. Uh, And uh, they'll be impressed. Uh, uh, We've been on uh, MSNBC. We've been on a number of uh, different stations. Uh, the lines and the food lines with the people coming up and collecting their food. So you'll see a lot more of that going out, I think, uh, over the next couple of weeks. We want to try to do more pop-up food pantries because there's a lot of people out there starving. A food pantry, when you take a bag, the bag has got food in there for three people for three days. So after that three days is up, what does that person do? What does that family do? So we need to be able to do more of these pop-up food pantries and give... Opportunities to these families that need them. So, the address again for Catholic Charities is 191 Joralemon Street, J O R A L E M O N Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11201. And hopefully, uh, you can send us a check, a small check, large check, uh, maybe give us a call and maybe uh, have some, somehow, um, uh, foundations, uh, another place that we can hopefully get uh, some additional large sums of money, so that we can be able to continue to do these pop-up kitchens and to continue to do Catholic Charities work.
2: Marnie, thank you for what you're doing at Catholic Charities right now, and thank you for being on, on the show.
4: Michael, i got to thank you uh, for you allowing us to get our message out, giving us an opportunity uh, for the public to understand what's going on. Uh, Catholic Charities is the biggest secret in, uh, in the world. They need to know what Catholic Charities is doing, can do, and will continue to do. As I said, uh, we have 5,000 units of housing, um, millions of meals to seniors each year, uh, referrals that we do, almost 20,000. We have uh, clients uh, that we work with on a regular basis, and they've increased, and they are impacted Catholic Charities. So thank you uh, for giving us the opportunity to continue to do our job and hopefully get some good support and some good help from your listeners. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Marty. Again, Marty Golden. Former state senator, now working with Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, we're going through tough times right now, and we just want to touch base with the uh, the person who represents me in the Assembly of New York from uh, Staten Island and Bay Ridge, Nicole Maliatakis. Welcome to Connors Corner.
3: How are you, Mike? Great to be with you.
2: Okay, we're doing okay, but it's 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 tough right now. We're hearing so much suffering and death and whatever. It's very hard. But let me ask you something. You're in the government. You're in the Assembly. What issues are going on right now? How, what do you think should be done or, or can be done that's not being done by the government?
3: Well, first of all, you know, it has been a difficult time. And uh, certainly my condolences to those listeners who have either had the uh, the virus or lost someone to the virus Um, And so I've spent most of my days, unfortunately, helping people apply for unemployment, delivering protective equipment to our local nursing homes and hospitals that are serving our communities, making sure that their healthcare workers have the proper protection that they need to do their job, and advocating for our essential city workers, making sure they have certain protections. Um, But during the course of this, a lot of issues had come up one of those issues was the issues of nursing homes and nursing homes um, were told by the state, by the department of health under the direction of the governor uh, that they had in COVID positive patients, either whether they were, they were their own residents that had left and gone to the hospital and returned, or if they were individuals um, that were coming in from other facilities. And I find that to be very problematic. And as you know, many people right now are looking into that and, and asking rightfully so What were the decisions made by the executive branch to allow people to go into nursing homes with our most vulnerable population? Whenever you heard a politician talk about this, they always talked about the seniors being the most vulnerable population. And that is true. Um, Seniors are very highly uh, uh, impacted and many, of course, uh, died as a result of of being associated with the virus. And so uh, I think it's rightfully being asked of the executive branch now, you know, why were these individuals sent to nursing homes, particularly in areas of the city, like my Humber of Staten Island, where there was a facility set up that was set up to take COVID positive patients either before or after they were placed on a ventilator. So those are questions that I and my colleagues are asking, and we hope that, the, the uh, executive branch will be transparent about that, but we certainly need to get to the bottom of what happened here.
2: What were the options? I mean, I, I know you just talked about one facility, but what were the options? Let's say somebody's coming out of a hospital and you want to get them out of the hospital and their nursing home bed. Where where What, what options are available to, for that patient who's coming out of the hospital, li- resides in a nursing home? Where could they go? You talked about one facility. What was that facility?
3: You know that was the South Beach uh, Psychiatric Center on Staten Island, but certainly, you know, in Manhattan, you had there was well, there was a the Javits Center, there was the Comfort Ship, uh, there were there were other options, uh, particularly those that were the makeshift hospitals that were set up around the city to relieve the, um, the 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 bed capacity in our existing hospitals. So, so from my perspective, as someone who represents, uh, you know, Staten Island um in particular uh, the idea that why were, why were people not discharged to the psychiatric center facility that was set up by the state to take covid people pro, po- po- uh, positive patients uh post uh being on a ventilator instead of sending them to nursing home so i think that, that that is the the number one question that i have um but you know in some cases some people could temporarily go with a loved one uh, and, and if they couldn't, and there was nothing that could be done, then there should have been areas that were isolated. So some states, for example, um, had uh, nursing homes designated just for COVID-positive patients. So that way they could at least separate them and isolate those who did have the virus. And that, of course, would have been a, a better approach than mixing people on the same floor. And in some cases, I know nursing homes in in, in our community, you know, they would uh, dedicate uh, you know, a a particular floor in the building for the COVID positive patients to ensure that they were separated. Um, but also in some cases, the nursing homes didn't even have the proper protective equipment. And we had to push the city and the state to try to get them gloves, medical gowns, uh, uh, masks. And so, uh, I, I found myself in a position as an elected official locally to, uh, pull together donations of supplies to try to supplement what the city office of emergency management was giving the nursing homes because it wasn't enough. And so they were relying on donations like what I was giving them um, from various sources to be able to have enough protective equipment to do their job. So, you know, certainly if you're going to mandate that the nursing homes take these individuals, then you have to give the staff the proper protective equipment to be able to do that job to stop the spread. Now, as we're moving forward in the process, uh, in terms of issues that affect our senior citizens, elective surgeries has become a big issue. Um, elective surgeries um, are not taking place in downstate New York. I've been pushing the governor to resume the schedule for elective surgeries, um, and he has looked at it uh, and has done so for 35 counties out of the state. However, downstate is still uh, not able to move forward with elective surgery. So you have individuals who are, I'm sure some of your listeners right now, you know, they're waiting for a hip replacement, and they're in tremendous amount of pain. They could have kidney blockage. They could have uh, maybe in need of a mastectomy. Perhaps they have cardiovascular issues. Um, screenings, cancer screenings, these are essential. Uh, and even though they call them elective surgeries, you know, they are not – Tummy toxin and facelifts—they are serious, essential sur- surgeries that, if and procedures that, if they don't happen, we'll have another public health crisis on our hands. Uh, and then certainly, these essential elective surgeries rather will turn into emergency surgeries, and that will be a major issue.
2: You know, we're right—we're right in the middle of the, the Mother's Day weekend. Uh, I know you brought up before we got on the air cemeteries.
3: So, I mean. We want our cemeteries to be open on Mother's Day. I personally, I think they should be open, period. Uh, you know, it's open space, um, and, and there really is no no more danger than going to a park where it's open. You're out in the open space. And we already know the science has shown that sunlight kills the virus. Uh, as long as people are social distancing while visiting the gravesite of a loved one, there's no reason why our cemeteries should be closed. Um, and, and, and again, you know, there are cemeteries in our city that are saying that they uh, aren't sure if they're going to be open for Mother's Day. And I find that to be highly problematic. And I think it's just, particularly now, so many people are emotionally and mentally distressed by what we've been through as a community. Some may have lost a loved one, but others may want to go to the cemetery to pray at a gravesite of a loved one, to meditate, to express their feelings. Uh, And I think that is important on Mother's Day in particular, that these cemeteries are open for people to do that, to mourn, to grieve, and to be able to uh, give their prayers uh, for their mother, their grandmother, even their father or their brother. I mean, it really, it really is a, an issue of, uh, I think, human decency and being there as a society for one another and allowing uh, individuals to uh, enter and visit the gravesites of their loved one. I'm happy to say that I started reaching out to the cemeteries in my community, and then about uh, half of the ones that I've called have are, agreed to Open up their gates for this weekend. So, uh, of course, the state has not mandated any closures of, of cemeteries. Um, they are essential under the state, particularly now where, where many people, unfortunately, are being buried. Um, but uh, the 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 decision on to whether allow whether to allow people to visit. Uh, it really falls on each cemetery in particular, and so uh, I'm continuing this week to call cemeteries and advocate that they open so loved ones can visit um and I think that's just something really important and it's really part of a healing process for all of us I, I want
2: to get back to a point earlier a few years back i mean the governor decided at least it was the you know the executive part of our government to close a lot of hospitals in, in New York City. Is there any second-guessing now, and I know it's hindsight, but is there any second-guessing about the closures of different hospitals like Long Island College, Victory Memorial?
3: I think they're uh, – they're, they're, well, look, they, they definitely showed that in a, a crisis-type situation, as we've just experienced, that there, are, are not, there is not enough bed capacity in our hospitals to be able to uh, provide for the demand. Um, so in particular with Litch, for example, in downtown Brooklyn, and that's an issue I brought up in the mayor's race. Um, and, and I had really been critical of the fact that, you know, you have to remember this was the facility that just before the democratic primary in 2013, our mayor, Bill de Blasio stood in front and protested its closure and was arrested for doing so. And many people said that that was like a defining moment in his campaign when he was arrested in front of Litch and it kind of kind of helped him in his campaign. Um, and what was interesting was as soon as he was elected, he then turned around and supported the sale of Lich. And now you know we know the story um, of condos being put at the site. So uh, there certainly are issues um, with closing our facilities. And we're seeing the same thing from the mental health aspect with our governor's attempt to close the number of beds for mental health and we have individuals who are now, you know, on our streets, they are not receiving the proper outpatient treatment, they aren't receiving the proper care that they need, and they're on the street to fend for themselves, and they're hurting themselves, they're hurting other people, and they go through that revolving door of a criminal justice system. And it's unfortunate, and I think that, you know, this pandemic certainly should should give everyone, uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle, of all levels of government, city, state, and federal... A pause to look at our current health care structure and find ways to improve care, uh, but also to expand care and ensure that we are better prepared for a second wave or a pandemic in the future.
2: well you know let 's change the subject completely. This is an election year you've got a campaign you're running for Congress from staten island and and, and Bay Ridge. How has your campaign been affected by by the virus?
3: Well, look, the, the campaign has is, is really uh, been on pause um, throughout this crisis, and you know I've been 100% focused on helping as many people as I can. In my current role as a state assembly member, I've been doing town halls. Uh, I've been doing uh, telephone town halls with with seniors uh, in my district. I've been reaching out to small businesses in the district, reaching out to various associations that represent, for example, medical society, dental society. Builders Association, uh, to try to help see what they need to move forward and, and, and try to get back to work. Um, and, uh, you know, that has really taken up a lot of my time. And, um, you know, I've been helping, unfortunately, hundreds of people apply for unemployment in my district, um, but also, you know, helping small businesses understand the Paycheck Protection Program, which is a grant that they can receive uh, from the federal government. Um, So there's been a lot of every day, every day presents new problems uh, that need to be addressed or, or, or new issues that need to be addressed. And we are diligently working to do that. So uh, as a result, you know, there's not much time to be actually doing a a, a formal campaign. I just continuing to do my job as an assembly member. And I know that my constituents uh, look, if I'm not there for them now, uh, when they really need me, then I don't deserve to go to Congress. And then uh, that's where that's, I think what any politician should be thinking right now, and then they shouldn't be so focused on the uh, campaign itself, but just doing their job and serving the public as an individual, as a private citizen, if they're not currently in office, or uh, like myself in as, as in the existing office that I hold. Um, so it's been difficult because we can't have rallies. You can't have fundraisers, and, and those are essential, uh, essential parts of any good campaign. Um, but we're doing what we can, and you know, anyone that does want to get involved or – Uh, support the campaign or volunteer in the future can always uh, visit my website to learn more at Nicole4NY.com.
2: Let me ask you, what issues do you think are going to be, you know, nationally, what are going to be the issues and what are going to be the issues in the congressional races?
3: Well, I think this really changed the dynamics of the campaign and what the central focus will be. You know, before we were talking about impeachment, we were talking about the wonderful employment record or the econ- economic record of the president. Uh, we were talking about, you know, various issues like the seawall project that's uh, going to be put in Staten Island. We were talking about transportation issues affecting the people of Staten Island, Brooklyn, and the entire city, the need to bring infrastructure dollars to New York. And, and that and a lot of that, and most of that will still be discussed, but I think uh, it would really shift the focus onto um, health care, it's shift the focus on how do we rebuild our economy and restore, restore jobs. Uh, it's shifting on holding uh, you know, Chinese communi- communist regime accountable. Uh, it's focusing on a lot of issues that uh, perhaps would have been discussed anyway, but now they are you know, the top one, two, and three issues of this campaign. And I think that that's why this election really is so important. It was important before because we were going to determine the future of this country – whether we are going to be a nation that continues to offer the American dream or whether we're going to move down the path of socialism. And that's still a main question of this campaign. But uh, in addition, it's what leadership are we going to have that will take us out of this crisis, that will restore our economy, return jobs um, to Americans, and, and I think that it's Republican leadership that we need. I believe that it's very important that we take back the House from Nancy Pelosi, from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And it's just it was important before, but now it's really critical uh, for the future of this country. Okay, Nicole,
2: again, where can somebody learn more about your candidacy? Where can somebody learn about what's going on in the New York state government? I mean, that's two separate points, but what websites?
3: Well, uh, look, my campaign website has a lot of resources that I've put um, specifically related to COVID. So as I get resources that are available to the community, uh, for example, you know, the state has set up a mental health hotline that is being posted. If you if you have a pet and you have COVID, you can't care for your pet, uh, there's a resource for that. The ASPCA has set up a hotline for that. Um, just general medical resources or anything that I'm working on specifically related to COVID, it's all on my website, nicole4ny.com. Um, and, and you can also find out information about my campaign, how to volunteer or get involved. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to update the constituency about what's really happening out there. And, of course, uh, you know, I, I look forward to coming on again in the near future uh, because this is going to be a long process, Mike, as you know, and things are going to be changing consistently. And it's really important for, for people uh, to have the, the best information, the most recent information. I know that's what, what, you te- what you aim to do on your show every week.
2: Nicole, thank you for coming on the show this weekend. Uh, you know, wish your mother a happy Mother's Day.
3: <laughs> Thank you. And and yes, happy Mother's Day to everyone that's out there. Um, and, you know, for those who have, uh, you know, lost a loved one, um, I, you know, we're going to be locally doing a candlelight vigil, vigil on Sunday at 8 p.m. And anyone who wants to participate, you know, we're going to be uh, on the stoops of our homes or on your porches or, you know, at your window, uh, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Holding a candle, holding a flashlight, holding your cell phone light up whatever it is, uh, and that will be at 8 p.m. on Sunday. And anyone who is listening and wants to participate can do so in their own way and pay respects to their loved ones uh, and say a little prayer for them at the same time while staying in, in their homes and being safe.
2: Thank you. Nicole Maliotakis, member of the Assembly representing parts of Staten Island and Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens to Will my to
3: assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect
4: the ones still here? Who
0: will help us take care of grandma? attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors and Sullivan's estate planning, elder law and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today.
2: Connors and Sullivan, plan now for later. Thanks again, Nicole. Now, it's Happy Mother's Day and and, and it's hard to say happy in this time you know but let's reflect on, on all the sacrifices that our mothers our grandmothers and you know our parents and grandparents made over the years
3: listen we love everybody out there and maybe we should just say we're thankful for the things that we have and all the people our friends and family that ha- are suffering we pray for you let's take time to remember the good things this weekend happy mother's day
1: Hi, Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program
0: paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.